This is a special episode of the Three Rural White Guys podcast, recorded live from Central Park. No, not the Central Park in New York City, the slightly smaller Central Park, but just as beautiful Central Park on the square in downtown Mount Pleasant, Iowa. We were invited by the Henry County Democrats to MC their summer ice cream social. Joining us were Christina Bohannon, candidate for U.S. Congress in Iowa's first congressional district. Eric Van Lanker, Democrat candidate for lieutenant governor. The incumbent county recorder, Minnie Fitzgibbons, helped us take a look at the importance of running for local offices. And the guys even interviewed me, Mike Heaton, candidate for District 87 of the Iowa House of Representatives. Each candidate stood up on a metaphorical soapbox and gave their stump speech. When they sat down with us, we asked them some more in-depth questions. It was fascinating to hear the candidates lay out the groundwork for the upcoming November 8th elections, and it was a rare opportunity for Callan and Jacob to put me on the hot seat. It was a fun event that reaffirmed that the Democratic Party is alive and well in rural America. Just who are the three rural white guys? Kellen Gracie is a data scientist and nationally respected academic in political science. Jacob Dodds is an expert in rural health care and emergency services. And I'm Mike Heaton, a professional in rural economic development and nonprofit management. We are just three guys sitting in our garage, usually, and enjoying a cold beverage while talking rural politics. Enjoy this special episode. Grew up with cornfields in every direction. That's where I learned all of my lessons about life and living without fences. In the land of the free to have opinions. If you work a job, you ought to make a living. George Strait or George Gay, there's no difference. People need help, and I think that we should listen. Three chords, and my truth is I'm a good old boy with a bleeding heart. Just a homegrown hick with a hybrid car. I think y'all means harm, and I know we all just want to know that we belong. And there's a lot more color in the mix when you're loud and proud out in the sticks. I am what I to this beautiful Sunday afternoon. It's good to have you all here. Thanks for all coming. My name is Mike Heaton. I am the candidate for District 87 for the Iowa House of Representatives. You're going to hear more from me later, but this weird setup we have up here, it's not just your normal stump speech situation. We have this podcast. Some of you have heard of it. We're called Three Rural White Guys. About a year and a half ago, after January 6th, the three of us, this is Kellen Gracie and Jacob Dodds, we were a little frustrated. We're out here in rural Iowa, we love our hometowns, we love small town communities here in Iowa, and yet we felt we were being run over by misinformation, by conspiracy theory that all led to January 6th. And so we decided, you know what? Not enough people in our rural communities are speaking out on behalf of Democrat values, on behalf of logic, you know, just basic common sense, looking at data, looking at science, all that kind of stuff. And so we decided, you know what? We're going to give it a shot. We're going to do this new 
newfangled thing called podcasting and see if we can make it work. And we now have over a thousand listeners every episode, which is sort of exciting. It's growing slowly. Yeah, thanks. It's almost all uh, rural listeners, which is pretty exciting, too. And what we have learned from this process, what we have learned from now almost 30 episodes in the last year and a half, is that there are a lot of us. There are a lot of Democrats, there's a lot of moderates, there's a lot of independents that are really sick and tired of all the BS. Sorry for the language, but there's a lot of BS out there. We want to do some pragmatic stuff. We want to get stuff done for Iowa. Whether or not you're a Democrat, whether or not you're Republican, whether or not you're independent, we're done. We're done with all this stuff. Oh, I like that. I like that. I think the Democrats have that part figured out, especially this slate of Democrats that we have on the ballot in November. They are absolutely incredible, and I am so excited for you to hear from a handful of them today. They're great. So the way we're going to do this is we're going to invite some of our candidates up one at a time. They're going to come right up here on our make-believe soapbox. Imagine it says soap right there. Up on the soapbox, they're going to speak. They're going to talk to you about why they are running, what their issues are, things that are important to them that they've heard from you all. And then we're going to interview them on the podcast. So this is actually a live recording right now. For all our listeners right now that are listening to this podcast, I'm looking out over a crowd of about 100 or so people, which is pretty darn exciting. So I am going to introduce to you first an incredible candidate. She is a go-getter. She is someone who doesn't like sitting back and letting the same old, same old thing keep happening. If she sees something's wrong in her community, something that needs to change, she goes and does it. I like to use the term GSD. It's uh, get stuff done. Sometimes that word changes in the middle there a little bit. But Christina Bohannon does. She gets stuff done. So much so that when she decided to run, she took on a 20-year incumbent and beat her. That's how she goes and gets stuff done. Now she's taking that same drive, that same passion, up to Congress for us to get stuff done. So ladies and gentlemen, the next Congresswoman from the 1st Congressional District here in the state of Iowa, Christina Bohannon. Hey, everybody. Hey, Mount Pleasant. How you doing? You know, I came to Mount Pleasant. It was one of my very first uh, events. I came over and talked to the Rotary Club, and I can hardly believe it's been almost a year ago that I did that. So we've been at this campaign for a while, and it's really exciting to be back here today. So I am Christina Bohannon. I'm a law professor at the University of Iowa. I've been there for about 23 years. I've taught thousands of Iowa's sons and daughters about our great country, our democracy, our constitution. I'm also a state legislator in the Iowa House of Representatives, and I have pushed back on some pretty terrible bills that have come through there in the last couple of years. And I have also forked really hard to find common ground to get stuff done. So now I'm running for Congress. I'm running for Congress because I love Iowa. And Iowa's values of fairness and hard work are my values. Those are the principles that have been the guiding principles of my life. I was not born a law professor. I grew up in a trailer in a very small town of about 700 people. Grew up off of a dirt road and neither of my parents graduated high school. My dad was a construction worker. He worked very long hours in the hot sun from early in the morning until late at night. And even then, we often had to choose between 
food, gas, medicine, all of it. I've seen that up close. And so inflation right now, I really see the pain that people are going through. You know, one of the happiest days of my life was when my family got our double wide trailer because we literally had twice as much space as we had ever had before, right? And so when we saw that, I just thought, my God, we could swim in this place. I mean, it's enormous. And it was in the 70s, so it had that you know, burnt orange shag carpet in it. So we were in style. I mean, we really thought we were in style. That was one of the happiest days of my childhood. But one of the hardest days of my childhood was when my dad was sick. He had had emphysema and struggled with that for about 10 years. And just as he got really sick, they canceled his health insurance. And you know, back then, that was when it was a pre-existing condition and you couldn't just go and get other health insurance, right? And so that was when things got really bad for us. And we really did have to choose between paying for his medicine and everything else. And I think that's when I realized that sometimes bad things happen to good people. Sometimes even people who work hard need a fair shot. They need a little help. And you know, I am very, very fortunate because I got that help. You know, I've worked hard. I've had just about every job you can imagine. I've waited tables. I picked oranges. I cleaned houses. I worked in a hospital billing department deciphering doctor's handwriting, which was about the hardest job I've ever had. But that wasn't enough. Sometimes even people who work hard need a little help. Medicare and Social Security were lifelines for my family. And I'll tell you what else absolutely changed my life, and that is public education. Public education, public education. I owe my life to my public school teachers. And for those of you in the audience right now, I just want to say thank you because it is shameful the way that public school teachers are being attacked and vilified in this state by our majority party in the legislature. You know, I owe my life to my teachers because it was them. They were the ones who taught me chemistry and prepared me for engineering school. They were the ones who taught me government and put the words of our Constitution in my head. Ms. Lopez, in the eighth grade, you know, had me uh, memorize. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union. She made me memorize those words. And that inspired me to go on and become a law professor and to teach the kids of Iowa about our great Constitution and our democracy. A democracy that is absolutely at stake and on the ballot in 2022. So, you know, I, I, I love running for Congress because I'm going all over the Southeast District. I'm meeting so many wonderful people. And I'll tell you something. 
Iowans work hard. They are working very, very hard, and they love Iowa. We want to stay here. People want to have their children here and retire here. They want to run farms and small businesses here. But it is getting harder and harder for people to live and work in Iowa. Our wages are lower than most of our neighboring states, and our benefits are not as good. Let me tell you, I saw a woman just a few weeks ago at a strike over at Case, and she is a single mom of four, with four kids. She, does, she loves her job. She's been there for 12 years. She does not get one single day of sick leave per year, not one. And that is one of our good jobs in Iowa. You know, we're also seeing our schools, our rural schools shutting down because we are disinvesting in public education. We're seeing our rural hospitals shut down. People are having to drive an hour to have a baby or to get basic care, to fill a prescription. People can't live and work in a place if they don't have a school to send their kids to and if they can't get the care that they need. And we're seeing our population decline. That's why, right? That's why. So here's the thing. We can do better. Can we do better? We can do better. And here's what I just want to talk about what Mike just mentioned. Democrats, independents, and a lot of Republicans, too, think we can do better. And they agree on a lot of the things that we have to do to make it happen. We know what we need to do. We need to reinvest in public education and health care. We need to invest in child care. We need to get our wages up and make it so that people want to live and work in Iowa again. We need to make it a welcoming place. And so we see that. I see that when I talk to people. A lot of people agree on it. But I'll tell you something. That's ordinary Iowans we're talking about, not politicians. Because our politics are getting in the way. We are seeing extreme and divisive candidates, people who would rather tell lies and spread misinformation than find real solutions to real problems. We have people who would rather start culture wars to divide and distract us from the fact that they're not doing anything to make Iowans' lives better. We have people who are slaves to their party bosses and to special interests instead of servants of the people. So here's the thing. I'm sad to say that nowhere is that more true than in our congressional district with Marionette Miller Meeks. She has been siding with the more extreme members of her party, and she is spreading more lies and misinformation than we can count. You know, her own hometown paper, the Ottumwa Courier, said that she has, quote, a concerning detachment from facts and reality. Now, those of you who know the Ottumwa Courier know that is not a liberal rag over there. Okay, 
She's also exciting with the extreme members of her party. I got a call a while back on my cell phone. It said Marionette Miller Meeks was calling me. I said, oh, my opponent's calling me. This is going to be an interesting conversation. But it was, it was a robocall. And she was inviting me to an event with her special guest, Jim Jordan. I see you know him. Jim Jordan, one of the most extreme and divisive people ever to serve in the United States Congress. That is who our representative chose to honor as her special guest. Is that what we want in Southeast Iowa? I don't think so. But I'll tell, I'll tell you one more thing. The record, and I say this, I'm going to tell you about this, because a lot of people know my opponent, Marionette Miller-Meeks. They know her name because she's run a number of times. But they don't know what she's about because she ran as a moderate. No more. She has voted against every single thing that would make inflation better for working families in Iowa. Every single thing, she talks a lot about inflation, but every single thing that would make inflation better, she has been against, against, against. She has voted against holding the oil and gas companies accountable for corporate price gouging at the pump. She has voted against a bipartisan infrastructure bill that would make our supply chain more efficient and bring down costs on food and a whole bunch of other products. She has consistently voted against letting Medicare negotiate for lower drug prices. Everybody thinks we should let Medicare negotiate for lower drug prices. 80 to 90% of people, she's against it. And let's talk for just a second about healthcare. Because I know this is such an important issue. It's an important issue for me. It was a critical issue for my family. And I know how much it matters to so many of you here. She has consistently advocated to repeal the Affordable Care Act and its protection for people with pre-existing conditions, people like my own dad. She said that she would end Medicare as we know it and turn it into a voucher plan. Yeah, you know why? Because seniors use their health care too much. She says they should gargle with salt water instead of go to the doctor. And she even led the charge against giving veterans health care for rare cancers and blood disorders after they were exposed to toxic burn pits in places like Iraq and Afghanistan. She led the charge, she led the charge against that bill in the House when it first came through. You know what I say? If we can spend hundreds of billions of dollars to send our troops into harm's way around the world, we can spend a fraction of that to take care of them when they get home. So listen, we can do better in Iowa. This is not Iowa. This is not Iowa. We can reinvest in public education and healthcare. We can improve our infrastructure, our broadband, and help small businesses thrive and grow. 
We can make Iowa the kind of place that people want to live and work again. But here's what we have to do. We have to elect people who believe in country over party. We have to elect people who believe in facts and science and reality and not in spreading lies and misinformation. And we have to elect people who believe in giving every hardworking Iowan and every hardworking American the fair shot that they deserve. That's what I believe. If you believe that too, I would love for you to join me. Thank you so much. Hey, come on down here, have a seat right here. We can hold on the mic. Oh, okay. I see how this works. <laughs> all right, we live? You got us all hooked up there? Awesome. So this part of the show with each candidate, we're going to just ask a couple questions for the podcast, for the recording. So I'll point right back over here to Kellen and Jacob. Just so our audience knows, uh, Kellen Gracie is a data scientist, a uh, academic in the field of political science. And Jacob is an expert in, in rural health care and EMS services, sort of our background. So we have a very deep passion for both politics and for rural issues as a whole. So I'm going to throw the questions their way because you're going to hear enough from me today. So what do you guys got, Kellen? So <clears throat> thanks again for being here. Uh, one topic you mentioned earlier uh, that is really important to me, you, you had mentioned that ed education's under attack in Iowa, but also across the country um, in, in what seems to be a, a systematic and, and organized way. Here in Iowa, it seemed for a long time, we had an ed education system that we could be proud of, that other states tried to emulate. But not anymore. It doesn't seem like that anymore. How do we go about fixing the damage that's been done? So, great question. You know, like I just said, education is everything to me. It really is the rising tide that lifts all boats. You know, somebody like me coming from a trailer, you know, who didn't have anything, neither of my parents graduated high school, public education really transformed my life. And so I want that for all people. I just imagine what we could be and what we could do if we gave that to every single person. So what we need to do, we need to start by calling out the extremism that we are seeing on this. And this, so in Iowa, as I'm sure many of you know, we have had Republican legislators who say that teachers have a sinister agenda to indoctrinate our children with, with bad ideas. You know, the teachers I have been talking to all over the district, they love children. They are there because they love children, because they want to help them thrive and grow. They would never do harm to these children. And so I think it starts by calling that out, because the fact is, we have had a teacher shortage in Iowa for a while now. You know, it started a, a, a few years back, and COVID has made it worse. And now, there are, I've talked to a number of teachers who are leaving the profession, because they are tired of the politics, the politicization of education. And now, what's happening is we have teachers who are afraid to teach. We have teachers who are afraid to teach. Because they're afraid that if they teach history, and some uncomfortable, unpleasant parts of our history, that they will be attacked. 
And so we have to respect teachers. We have to call that out when we see it. We have to defend them. And that is why I will say right now, one of the things that we need to do to help education is to start showing up at our local school board meetings because I will tell you, there is no place more important right now. People have been asking me, why would you run for Congress? You know, it's so ugly and so terrible. Why would you do something like that? I have to tell you, I think being on a local school board is one of the hardest things that people could sign up for right now. So those of you who are serving on our school boards, thank you. Thank you. So we need to know that that's happening. We need to run for office. We need to run for school board. We need to run for state legislature. Uh, we need to show up at our school board meetings and make our feelings known because it's only when people who are talking this way know that they will be held accountable at the ballot box that things will change. And then the other thing we need to do is we have to reinvest in public education. You know, I would like to see a widespread investment in public education throughout our state and throughout our country. You know, in Iowa, the education amount that we've been giving for our budget does not even come close to keeping up with costs for our public schools. So we need to reinvest in public education. We need to stop obsessing about giving 2% of our kids a private school education and start focusing on making Iowa public schools number one in the country again. So one of the things that we certainly hear on our podcast is that Iowa has started to shift over the last couple of election cycles to being more of a deep red state, where it previously was purple. We have these sort of islands of blue that are isolated to the metro areas. And one of the things that we hear back in our social media is that we don't belong in these communities as Democrats, which this crowd says otherwise. Thank you for yeah. showing up. Um, but, but one of the things that, that I do, I personally get frustrated with as a Democrat is sort of the passiveness that we see from Democratic candidates and the ones that are in office on, as you mentioned, sort of this ridiculous dumpster fire that's going on, the lies and misinformation. How do you overcome that to get the message out that these Republican values, these modern Republican values are what's really hurting rural America? Yeah, so, so great question. And there's a lot there. So I'll just take a few different tacks here. So first of all, I will say that I, I really think that the bitter and extreme divisiveness that we are seeing in our country is one of the greatest threats that we have ever faced as a country. Having said that, and so, and so for that reason, you will never hear me personally attacking Miller Meeks or any other, you know, Republican. I won't go after her family. They've already come after mine. Okay. But I will never do that because I don't think that's right. And I think that's the kind of thing that really alienates people and causes people to check out of politics. And we cannot have people check out of politics in a government that is by the people for the people. If that happens, we will lose our democracy. Right. So... I am not about public attack or personal attacks. Having said that, I think it's really important that Democrats not be afraid to call out the record of our opponents. 
And that's why I talk so much today about this, because people don't know. There are, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And I will say that some of our elected officials on the Republican side have been very good at saying one thing and doing another. There is a, a, a pattern of saying that they support things that will help Iowans and that will help working people, but then voting against it when it actually comes time in Congress because their party bosses are telling them that's how they need to vote. Why? Because we cannot give Democrats a win. That's why. And so we have to call that out. So I think it's really important that Democrats do that. And that's why I do that. I think that that is part of holding our elected officials accountable. A couple of other things I'll just say on, on that same point, though. Democrats have not always been perfect here. Am I right? Um, first of all, I do think that national Democrats messaging and priorities often are not centered around small towns and rural America. I think that that has alienated some people and made people in areas like Mount Pleasant and surrounding areas feel that the Democratic Party does not speak to them. And I think that's something we absolutely have to change. Um, yeah. It's, it's so important that we, um, as a Democratic Party, show that we absolutely are about working people and helping everyday people like uh, people in Iowa and in our rural areas and small towns that we are looking out for them. And so, you know, a lot of the things that we're focused on are solving inflation and making sure that wages are livable, you know, um, making sure that our unions are strong. Uh, those kinds of things. We have to focus on those kinds of issues and we have to keep going into areas even when it seems like people don't want us here. Even when people say Democrats don't belong here, Democrats have to keep going there and they have to keep talking to people and we have to keep trying. It's so important. We cannot give up because you know what? I know that there's a lot of division. I know there's a lot of misinformation. But as I go all over Southeast Iowa, people need Democrats because they need education. They need health care. They need living wages. They need infrastructure and broadband. They need us to grow their farms and their small businesses. They need us to help get by and to give them a fair shot. We cannot give up. We have to keep going. Yeah. Well, I know I'm inspired. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you for coming to Mount Pleasant. Thank you for being on our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Ladies and gentlemen, one more round of applause for Christina Bohannon. So, twice now, here in Mount Pleasant, we have been blessed with having a visit by Deidre Desjir. Now, I know a lot of people weren't able to get to those. She is incredible. I mean, I don't know how many times I could hear her message, listen to her uh, on social media, listen to her in person, and just be completely inspired by her vision for the state of Iowa. She's not able to be here today. I was overjoyed to hear a couple months ago that she chose as her running mate for Lieutenant Governor, Mr. Eric Van Lanker. He was a candidate for Secretary of State, and when he spoke at some of the events I was at, 
he spoke to our hearts because we are all watching as our democracy starts getting eaten away at slowly and surely by lies, by deceit, by attacks on our basic fair election process. And he was willing to stand up and talk out against those movements. And I'm sorry you didn't win that election, but I am so excited that you said yes to Deidre when she asked you to join her ticket because you really bring a strong rural presence being from Clinton, Iowa, to our gubernatorial race. So thank you so much. And ladies and gentlemen, the next lieutenant governor for the state of Iowa, Eric Van Lanker. All right, Henry County showing up, looking good. I'm sure glad to be able to come down and visit with y'all, and uh, thanks for being here. So maybe a few folks don't uh, know me very well yet or didn't catch on during the Secretary of State's race, but so let me give you a quick bio. I was born and raised in Cedar Rapids to hardworking parents. After I graduated high school, I went on to the greatest place on the planet. Uh, oh, in case some of you don't know, that's called the University of Northern Iowa. Go Panthers, hashtag ever loyal. We got some Panthers, baby. Yeah, all right. That's where I met my wife, Tanya. She's here. And please give her a hand. She's going into her 31st year of teaching elementary in a public school. We have two grown children, uh, Caitlin and Jackson. Caitlin's a hardworking server back in Clinton at a great restaurant there. And our son uh, continued into public service. He's a paramedic in Lynn County. So, yeah. Um, so we're very proud of both of them. Something else you should know then, and you kind of caught it there in my bio, is that I'm very much a life lifelong Iowan, and I'm also a product of Iowa public schools from kindergarten through college. And you know, when I look back on that, when I graduated high school, Iowa's public school system was number one in the nation. And we knew that. We, we knew that. Even students, even a first-generational college kid knew that. We wore that as a sense of pride. We knew when we had that Iowa high school diploma, that was worth a little extra consideration. In fact, my college roommate from Dubuque, he always tells a story about when he applied for a job in Chicago. They looked at that resume and the first thing they acknowledged and they said to him, oh, you're an Iowan and an Iowa public grad. That's how big a deal that was back then. We knew we had that diploma, it was extra points. When we applied to college, when we applied for that first inter internship or even that first job. But today, our kids don't have that luxury, right? Our public school system right now is slipping down to the middle of the pack. And unless we do something about it now, we're going to keep slipping down. We're losing teachers. Kids don't feel safe in the classroom, and mental health uh, confuses all of those issues as well. Those are all things we need to address. So let me tell you, when we talk about the urgency of this matter, we know we need to put all of our public funding toward public schools. Our solution is pretty simple. It's in big letters on Deidre DeGere's t-shirt, fund public schools. 
Now is not the time to divert $54 million to a voucher program for just 10,000 students. Now's the time to put that back into the public school system for our 484,000 students in all 99 counties in the state. Governor Reynolds believes so heartily in this voucher program when so many don't, not even those in her own party. In fact, she went out and primaried against some of her own incumbent legislators because they wouldn't vote for the voucher program. That's how sold she is on getting this voucher program done. But I'm going to tell you something. There's one problem with her plan is that when that voucher program comes across the governor's desk, it's not going to be Governor Reynolds with a pen to sign it. It's going to be Deidre this year with a big veto stamp. We are going to interject hundreds of million dollars into our public school. That's what we're going to ask our legislature to do, just to get us back to even. When we talk about funding schools, we talk about funding them at the appropriate inflationary rates. I've already seen the post by some Republicans. They, they talk about how many millions of dollars they've given the schools. That's not the whole story, folks. The whole story is that while inflation continues to go up, they've funded the last 10 years our public schools at an average of 2%. That's not getting it done. All right? So we're going to fund those schools, and we're going to take care of the backbone of our schools, our school teachers. All right? We want to make sure... We have quality school teachers here in our schools in the state of Iowa. One thing we're going to do is we're going to reinstate a student loan forgiveness program for teachers that come in and work at least seven years in our systems. All right? And we know... We know that'll work because I started uh, a student loan forgiveness program up in Clinton County and I work with the schools to partner with the schools on that thing too because we know as kids come out of schools and they're looking at jobs, they aren't actually looking at retirement. What they want to do is get rid of this student loan as, as soon as possible because it affects where they live, where they're going to work, when they're going to start a family. And so that's why we want to take care of those folks right away, too. All right. So what do you say, Henry County? Are you with me and Deidre to put public schools number one in the nation again? Yeah. <clears throat> and I know, coming from where I come from, this issue is so important to our rural counties. We know our schools are the gems of our communities. So we need to fight to keep those schools open. I was just at a farmer's union meeting, and we were talking about ag things, family farms especially, but we know we're not going to encourage family farmers to continue to stay on the farm if they're not close to a quality school. So we're fighting for our rural communities, and we believe that funding public schools is also at the base of that. Another thing I've been talking about, because I think it's also very important to our rural counties, is that we need to get rid of this privatized Medicaid program that we have. And, and I'll tell you why. These MCOs, these out-of-state MCOs, are turning down claims almost 900% more than when the state ran the program. That means delays for our most vulnerable Iowans, and that means delays for our most vulnerable hospitals and clinics in our rural counties. 
I was on the board at the hospital in Clinton for several years. We had to hire one person that all they do full time is go, is go back and fight these claims that are rejected. We can no longer have these outside corporate folks deciding our care so that their quarterly balance sheets look good. That's, that's, not, that's one of the most un-Iowan things I've ever heard of, all right? So are you ready to stand with Deidre Desjere and I to help support rural health care in Iowa? Yeah. And one, one last quick thing before I jump down here into the hot seat next to Mike. You got to know this. This is a promise. Deidre Desjere will do everything she can to support a woman's right to choose her health care. That is a promise. Governor Reynolds and Lieutenant Gregg have already taken the steps all right, to get abortions banned in the state of Iowa. Their future is to criminalize a woman and her doctor for making a very personal and safe health care decision. Deidre Gigier will not let that happen, all right? She will block any total ban on contraceptives, any total ban on abortion, all right? So Henry County, are you ready to stand with me and Deidre to fight and protect a women's right to choose? <laughs> Need your help, folks, all right? These are all things we're gonna do, and we're gonna get elected because these are all common ground issues that affects every single Iowan Democrat, Republican, or no party independent. That's why we know Deidre and I are gonna win. But we still need your help getting this word out, okay? So any emails you can send to your friends about our campaign, if you see a, a nice article about Deidre or I, something we said, please send that to them. Go to our websites and share our websites with folks. And if you can, you know, spend a little time on the phone Call folks. If you can door knock for us or just put door hangers on doors, we appreciate it very much. And yeah, uh, I'm going to make the hard ass for money, all right? If you can go to Deidre's website or my website, ericvanlanker.com, you can contribute to us there. And look, I've been doing this a long time. I can tell you, you may not think it, but you, you know, $10 for the next couple weeks until the end of the election, $50, you know, a couple weeks till the $100, whatever you can do. I promise you that may not sound like much to you and you might think it doesn't sound much to us, but it makes the world a difference to us because that all adds up and it gets Deidre Desjere elected the next governor of the state of Iowa. Thanks, Henry County. Great job. Thanks, man. Now I got a question for Mr. Van Lanker. I'm running for office. You're running for office. You mentioned right at the end that raising money is a, a basic part of that. And I used to sort of cringe at that. I'd be like, why are you asking people for money? We already, most communities in, in rural um, Iowa especially are pretty stressed and we're pretty crunched, right? Um, what I've learned is running as a candidate is the, the cost of getting the message out. Yeah. Otherwise we're, we're fighting against this anti sort of misinformation through media things like that so if you're you want us to donate what does that get used for in a, in a gubernatorial campaign yeah thank you that um that's a good question look we know it's about communication and it's about getting our word out and i i tell you again i joined Deidre this year when she asked me to do this because 
I love what's in her heart, and her solutions are Iowa solutions. We're going all around talking to Iowans about what they want to talk about. How, how can I afford where I live? Can I afford to take my child to that doctor's appointment? Or, where, you know, for here in rural, where, where can I take my child for this? Do I got to go all the way to Iowa City, over to Davenport, down to Des Moines? But we know that while we meet with you folks and you folks are helping us get the word out, we need to get the word out to all voters in the state of Iowa. Again, Democrats, Republicans, look folks, we know there's moderate Republicans out there looking for different answers and looking for answers that are Iowan answers. You know, things that we used to do. We know that no party folks are looking for something different, but we need your help to get that word out. So we will uh, use a lot of that money to, to, quite frankly, do mailers and radio and TV and get the word out to all the Iowa voters that we can. And hopefully this will all, you know, we got 100 days left, I believe, and this is all going to roll up and roll up to, uh, again, getting Deidre DeGere elected as the next governor of the state of Iowa. Did that answer your question? Okay. Uh, I wanted to expand a little bit on what you mentioned about the privatization of Medicaid. Here in Henry County, about 25% of the population is reliant on the Medicaid system. And that, that has significantly impacted our hospital, our primary care physicians, um, and even access to ambulance service. Um, I know when, I, when I, I previously ran the ambulance service here, we were reimbursed about 17 cents on every dollar which was barely enough to put fuel in the ambulance to respond to the call. So knowing that that's a huge issue, I mean, everybody knows that. The, the legislature has heard that from the outset. What's the plan to fix that? I think there's a two-pronged approach here, and I think that's obviously reviewing the system that we have now with the system we had and maybe reverting back to that. But then it's also like a funding issue also, and I think that's where we go off into the second prong uh, and where we need to start uh, looking at other options, creative options. To, especially to serve our, our rural folks. Um, I've, I, I have a number to call of a gentleman that's running um, basically an OB-GYN clinic up in north central Iowa, and they're serving successfully a bunch of rural counties around there. He's in charge of uh, recruiting uh, the physicians or the physician's assistants and then creating the office hours around there so that folks don't have to drive through two counties an hour away to go get that care. And I know there's other solutions like that that are out there. And um, of course, uh, as a county auditor in Clinton County, we understand uh, the discussion of like the first responders and the ambulance as well. Um, and that's something that's becoming a very heavy discussion in the state and how that's going to be funded. And now that we can actually have EMS as a county service with its own budget, uh, I think that's what we'll see a little bit more of too. But uh, I'm certainly open to even finding more creative ideas about how we can do this. Because when I was working at the hospital, um, it's not... It, it wasn't just payment either, it was doctor recruitment as well. And that's another thing that's hurting our, our rural hospitals and clinics is just finding folks to work there. And so we need to address that too. And whether, 
you know, maybe that's a student loan assistance program as well, or, or one of these ideas where we get together with several counties. But um, there's solutions out there, and, and I'm looking forward to working with folks on what those are. Because that's the other thing that Deidre and I do. I'm not an answer machine. I don't have all the answers. I don't care to have all the answers. But we go and meet with folks who have the answers, who have ideas. And then we look to get together, everyone, Republicans and Democrats, and make those work. That's my reputation in Clinton County. And I, and I truly believe that's why I'm on this ticket now. Thank you. Yeah, I, uh, what, one last thing, one last question. One, one issue you haven't mentioned yet, and, and it's, it's important out, out in rural areas in Iowa. And it's, it's an issue that divides Democrats, especially in rural Iowa. Um, is is the, the issue of the carbon pipeline that's been proposed, uh, a, a proposed pipeline to transport greenhouse gases. And I just, I, I wanted to get your, your opinion on the subject. Where, where do you stand on the, the carbon pipeline issue? I, I didn't hear that very well. Your cardinal was blinding me. I, I don't, Clint, I know we're close, but Clinton is like Cubs country. This cardinal thing has thrown me off a little bit. Yeah, look, uh, Clinton County is is facing this. We've already had a pipeline go through. We had another proposed one that dropped out, and now we have another, the Wolf Pipeline, that's going to serve ADM that is going through uh, Clinton County. And uh, I'll tell you where I stand on this is is basically, I, I believe you know that's a situation that's between. Uh, a landowner and and the pipeline company, and I I don't I don't care to see eminent domain used uh, for these for these corporate companies. I don't think that's where public funds should go. I don't. So that's my short answer to that. Totally fine on that. Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. It's so good to have you here to hear your thoughts and what you believe you and Deidre can do for our, our great state of Iowa. So thank you for joining us. One more applause for Eric Van Lanker. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right. So Christina earlier talked about the need to run locally. That is how we build up an incredible pipeline of Democratic candidates. And that everything from the school board to city council. So first, if you're thinking about running or you want to get involved, that's where it's at. And it may not be on this ballot, but the next ballot next year is when all those city and municipal type uh, offices are. So if you're interested, come talk to me. Come talk to Jeff Fager. Where's Jeff? Jeff's right over here. He's our chair of our, of our county party. And he will help you understand what it takes to run for a, a municipal office. And that may launch you into something bigger. It may just be that you want to just care deeply about your community and give back. And we need every Democrat we can to do that, to have those values. One of those Democrats is someone we've had right here in Henry County for years now. Five years, is that right? Five years. Her name is Mindy Fitzgibbon. She is our county recorder for Henry County. Everybody give a big hand to Mindy. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Mindy Fitzgibbon. I've been the Henry County Recorder for about five years. Um, I was appointed to the position to fill the previous recorder's term um, in November of 2017 by a three Republican Board of Supervisors. They knew me well, so they knew and they knew my party, I assume. 
the past five years as a recorder, um, we've endured a lot of changes, good and bad, within our office. We have digitized a lot of our records. We're in the process of using ARPA, American Rescue Plan Funds, to digitize 609 books within our office. Those are books, If I don't know if anybody's familiar with the courthouse or the recorder's office. Um, we had a fire above there, our office, several years ago before 2017 that they had to move all the books out of our office so they didn't get destroyed. And they go back to 1800. We've also had a flood to where we had to move all those books. So we're trying to get those digitized out onto the public record so that you can locally come and look at those. We are licensing agent for the Iowa Department of Natural Resources, so we sell you fishing licenses, hunting licenses, ATV, snowmobiles, registrations for them. We are the registrar for vital records for birth, death, and marriage records. So you can come to our office and get certified copies of those types of records. And then you register with our office to get a marriage license. We've accomplished a lot of things within the office. We were doing all of our accounting on paper. We've now digitized that to where it's all computerized accounting, which was a huge process. We, like I said, recently our ARPA fund, the rescue management funds for digitizing, that's an $80,000 project that we got the supervisors. We got $3 million for the county. And I don't know if you're paying attention to any of that, but we are allotted 80,000 to digitize those. I currently serve on the Iowa Land Records ESS subcommittee for digitizing our records and keeping that program going for our county. And I'm an active member in the PREA, which is Property Records Industry Association, and our 5th District um, County Recorders Association. Since I've been in office in 2017, I've conserved a lot of money within our budget, a good 15, 20,000 since I've been in office in 2017. My staff and I are proud to serve the Henry County residents. I welcome all of you. All my records are public record. I welcome all of you to stop by. After I took office, we had an office remodel and made the office more efficient. We encourage all of you, come in and check our office out. If you wanna know what's going on in the county, you need to come to the courthouse. Sit in a board of supervisors meeting. I sit in quite a few of them myself. I raise a lot of heck in a lot of them, quite a bit. So feel free to stop by the Henry County Recorder's Office. It's pretty interesting. Today I'm asking for your support, and, and I hope all of you will vote on November 8th. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to come talk with me. Thank you. Come on down. So, so Mindy said she was a little bit nervous to, to do the, co the, the podcast questions, but trust me, you should be far less nervous than I'm going to be here shortly when I get grilled by those two after my pitch. So uh, we'll, we'll go easy on you, we promise. Nice. Uh, you guys want to start? I got a question, I know, but what do you guys got? Yeah, I have a, I have a, a, a quick one, kind of two-part question. First, what drives and motivates a county recorder? What's your biggest priority uh, ha as the Henry County Recorder, that's that's the first part, and the second part maybe kind of related is, uh, what what caused you to throw your hat in the ring and get involved in in public office? I'll start in the public office part. I've always been interested in politics. I came from working for the state of Iowa. I worked for the mental health institution before I went to work for the clerk's office, and the clerk's office is the clerk of court. 
So all that relies on the legislature and the changes they make. And a lot of that had a major impact on our offices and it just, it really got me interested and intrigued by what they can do up there can affect us deeply down here in these small rural counties. That's the MHI, I went through a session when I worked there. They were on the chopping block to get closed the first time. And it was tough when you didn't know if you were gonna have a job. So that what has made me very interested in public service and then throw my hat into this next level of politics at the county level. I don't know if I'll go much farther, but <laughs> you never say never. If you're not familiar with the recorder's office, what gets filed in the recorder's office, our main duty is real estate records. So anybody that purchases a property here in Henry County, your deed is filed within our office. Your mortgage is filed within our office. Any affidavit that is anything that you want to record, DD-214s are recorded in my office. And also birth, death, and marriage records. You can get those at the county level. Um, like I said, we go back as to 1954 for marriage. We can get any marriage for any um, county in Iowa. 1986 for birth and death. We can go back that far. So you can go locally and get those, and that's a big thing. Um, but those old records, once they're digitized, they will not leave my office because I have a lot of genealogy folks that come into my office and do research. Right now, my girls and I have a lot. The main focus is, is land records. We've got an Iowa land records site that the County Recorders Association manages that you're able to go out and get those pub documents public. So. All right. And just since people don't often pay real super close attention to local races, are there any other Democrats holding office in the courthouse no. right now? No. I'm the first one they've had. And Jeff, where are you? Like 15, 20 years when I took office. Probably so. since I think Mike Hampton was the county supervisor. Probably. It's been a while. Yeah. I could probably yeah. attest to that. Yeah. Uh, question I have for you, Mindy. I used to work for UNICEF for quite a few years, and, and we go to, to other countries where you'd find populations that were remote or very underserved by their governments. One of the biggest issues they came up with often was they didn't have right documents. They didn't have uh, a birth certificate. They didn't have proof of Social Security. They didn't have proof of land ownership or home ownership. And the second those records disappeared, or they, they, either they couldn't find them or their county courthouse burned down or whatever it may have been, the, the amount of trouble it took to be able to fight and get back to where they were, or even to get basic services from the government, was uh, it, is astronomically hard. And so the county recorder's office, while most people probably be like, yeah, that's sort of a boring thing, it's critically important to our, to our community and how we function. Yeah, it's... It's a vital part of it. We work with all types of people from needing to get their birth certificate and thinking they were born in this county or not. Even in researching back to trying to find who owned their previous property. I mean, we've worked with all sorts in those types of situations. That's why I encourage everybody to come in and look at some of these. So. Well. All that said, then, thank you for the five years you put in for the, 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 for the county of Henry County, and uh, good luck in the campaign. Ladies and gentlemen, Mindy Fitzgibbons. Thank you. Oh, crap. <laughs> I'm not too worried about my stump speech. 
Uh, I'm more worried about what they're going to ask me here shortly uh, when I sit back down. So we'll see how it goes. But hey, everybody, I'm our last candidate for the day. Hi, I'm Mike Heaton. I'm running for the Iowa House District 87. And my goal is for you to remember three things about me when I'm done. Pretty simple. Number one is that I'm pragmatic. Number two is my passion is rural economic development, especially around entrepreneurship. And number three is one word. I don't have them yet, but one word, grandchildren. Okay, so three things, pragmatic, rural entrepreneurship, and grandchildren. Pragmatic, I'm done with the BS, as I said earlier. We don't have time for any of that. We don't have time for conspiracy theories. We don't have time for the lies. We have enough going on in our community that our community needs to take care of. Enough issues we have to work on to benefit our communities that we don't need to be spending time in the muck. So I'm pragmatic, get stuff done, okay? Number two, rural economic development. It's what I do now, it's what I love, it's what I'm passionate about. When I came back to Mount Pleasant and went to work for Iowa Wesleyan, as you all know, it was right at that edge where we almost closed our doors. And President Titus brought me and said, like, listen, this is our situation right now. Do you think we can get through it? And I looked at the numbers and I'm like, yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Let's see what happens, let's give it a shot. I'm a lifelong fundraiser for nonprofits. And so we gave it a shot. And the first thing I ran into was the fact that our rural economies, especially here in Southeast Iowa, are not what they used to be 20 years ago. I think we all know that. The data shows that though. You talk about being pragmatic. I'm not here to tell you how great our economy is. I'm actually gonna look at the numbers and say that it has been going down steadily. More so to me and more important to me is our local ownership has all but disappeared compared to what we used to have. We no longer have people that own our companies living here in Mount Pleasant. There's very few. The ones that are, are incredibly, incredibly engaged in our community. And when they make a decision about the company that they're in charge of, they have to think about it like, I gotta look my employee in the eye at church on Sunday. I have to see them at the local restaurant. So when I make that decision to fire people, to not give a raise, it's human, it's real. They treat people like humans. When our companies here aren't owned locally, we're a commodity. We're a number on a sheet of paper. And I don't mean to undermine some of our great, great companies that we have here in Mount Pleasant that aren't locally owned, but we need more, more locally owned companies. And the way we get that is through entrepreneurship, helping people start their own companies, build their own companies, helping women-owned businesses, helping immigrants start companies, helping people who have historically been underrepresented in our communities to be able to get loans, to be able to get training, support, to be able to start businesses. So that is one of my biggest passions. It's what I work for. We started a co-working space here across the street that's gonna focus on doing just that. Politics or not, we need to do that in Mount Pleasant. Thank you. And number three, and most importantly to me, and I think it's most important to pretty much everybody here, is the idea of grandchildren. Every single policy, every piece of legislation that comes across my desk as your state representative will go through one filter, primarily one filter. And that is, will that piece of legislation make Mount Pleasant, make Fairfield, make Kisakwa, make Salem, make Stockport, our rural communities, a place where our grandchildren want to live? 
it's not that hard to look around and talk to people and see that our kids have left. I was one of them. I left for 20 years before I came back five years ago. And there's reasons for that. It's not just because we don't have enough bike lanes or good enough jobs, which are all important things. Don't get me wrong. But we need to have inclusive communities. We can't be getting caught up in the culture war stuff because it's about what our grandkids think, how they see the world. Okay? So that's really important that we're inclusive. It's really important that we have good paying jobs. Woo! And local ownership, it's really important that we have good child care, which we just got back. Thank you, everyone that's worked on that. We have a lot of people that were on the board for that. Thank you for getting our child care center open. It's important that we have good K-12. It's really important that we have good higher education. And we're fortunate in District 87 that we have both Fairfield and Mount Pleasant, two universities in one house district. That's nowhere else in the state of Iowa. It's really incredible. Education is one of our biggest priorities that we have here in this district. So we have to make our communities welcoming and attractive to our grandchildren. So that's the filter I use. Pragmatic, rural economic development, and our grandchildren. I'm Mike Heaton. I'm running for Iowa House District 87 for the state of Iowa. Thank you. All right, guys, give it to me. What do you got? I'm really worried. They were scheming over there in the corner before we started here. <laughs> we weren't scheming. No? Okay, no. good. What do you got? What do you got? Uh, right off the bat, I, I just wanted to ask, what, what is the biggest difference between you and your opponent, you and, and Jeff Shipley? <laughs> so we, we have an ongoing debate uh, between Kellen and I on whether or not we talk about my opponent, right? I, I'm not one to talk about my opponent very often because I saw how much Hillary talked about Donald Trump and all the crazy, just idiotic things that Trump said and did and was on record doing, and it didn't work, obviously. And so I don't like talking about my opponent in that way, and that's probably my biggest difference, is I'm not going to throw shade at him. Um, there is one thing I will, and that's based on things he said, he's saying. Jeff Shipley pulls conspiracy theory stuff off the internet and brings it to the forefront of our communities and makes people care about them. Whether or not it's LGBTQ plus issues, whether or not it's about vaccines, which he literally spoke wrong information on the floor of the, of the state house. I'm, I'm not okay with that. I'm okay with people having their own opinion on vaccines. I'm okay with people having their own opinion on LGBTQ plus issues. We all have the right to have our opinion, have our own voice. But if you're an elected official, you have a responsibility to play in the area of facts and reality and data, not on conspiracy theory. So that's, that's the one area I will talk, and that's the biggest difference, I would say, between the two of us. All right, Mike, we talk about this on the podcast all the time, but I know not everybody out there is a listener. So being as we're here in deep red Henry County, we, we all have those friends, right? Those hard right Republicans that they're sensible people, but they're gonna vote for the Republican just because they're the Republican. How do we engage our friends to hear your message and get away from Shipley's divisiveness and misinformation? So the answer is talk to them, obviously, and that's one thing we talk about all the time. Uh, Jacob's really known for doing this thing called drive by nice. It's like, it's like you, you go and you just sort of drop a little bit of information, some actual facts, and then you say, hey, I like your truck, you know, and you keep on moving by, right? Like, 
and, and being kind about it. But that's one of the key pieces is, is being kind while we're having the conversations, not getting into these arguments and fights, because the second that we fight with our loved ones or our friends over issues that we're passionate about, they're going to lock up. They get into defensive mode. They get put in the corner. And we all know if you get put in the corner, you start swinging. And that's not where we want to be. We're family. We're friends. We're a community. We have to see each other at church. And so historically, I think in rural, what I found is that we've ignored politics. We've ignored religion. We've ignored these sort of hard topics to talk about because they cause that division. And so I think we really have to, instead of ignoring it, we got to find a better way to talk about it. And I can give you an example. I had a really sad day on Thursday. My, my uncle had passed away, and uh, we drove, I drove up with my brother to Elkader, Iowa. And I, I love my brother, but if you all know my brother, how many people here know Chris Heaton? There's a lot of you in here. We are nothing alike. He is good old boy to the max uh, from Salem. He's a farmer. He's probably a Republican. I haven't checked the rolls. And we disagree on a lot of politics. I love him to death. He's wonderful. He's a huge, huge uh, volunteer out at Midwest Old Threshers, and he's really, he really cares deeply about this community, as do I. And it's because we both care deeply about this community that we have common ground. And we spent five hours in a truck yesterday, or Thursday, talking about First Mount Pleasant. We didn't talk about it like it was politics. We didn't bring up Nancy Pelosi or Donald Trump or any of that stuff, right? We talked about the hospital, because my dad was just there with an accident he had. He's fine. He's good. But, and we talked about how it's understaffed and underpaid. And that was really frustrating to go through with my family member, with my dad, to see that and have him not get the services he probably could if we actually fully funded our hospital system. And we talked about my mom, who was a public school teacher for 25 years in New London, and how public school systems, which both of our kids are going through, all of our kids are going through right now, are not the same as what we had 20-some years ago, and we went through it. And when we talked about it like that, with that shared connection, it, it wasn't a political conversation anymore. And we end up on the same page. Now, I still don't know if he'll vote Democrat. He said he'd vote for me, which I feel great about, right? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> but, you know, the hope is that the more we talk, the more our parties start changing their stances and get a little bit closer together again so you can vote for either one and just be acknowledging all the issues, just have a different opinion on how to get there, which is like old school politics. We've, we've, we've gone away from that to where it's culture war politics. And I think if we just talk to each other kindly, do the drive-by nice thing that you do, Jacob, that's how we end the culture wars. How's that? There you go. So both those... Oh, uh, oh you get two questions? Yeah. Oh, dang it. Okay, yeah, we're on. not done. Let me look at my clock here. No, we're not MC. done here. Okay, fine. A couple more questions. So, what do you got? So you, uh, you spoke to both of... Well, you spoke to two of your three kind of stools there, or two of your three pillars, the, the pragmatic piece, the grandchildren piece. But I, I wanted you to talk a little bit more about the second one, too, rural economic development. In, in towns like ours, towns like Mount Pleasant, it's just it's becoming more and more obvious that we need new and unique approaches to providing and expanding rural opportunity. Uh, so give us a bit more on, on that piece, the, the how. How do we get from point A to point B? What would you do as a state rep to help grow and strengthen Mount Pleasant as a community and, and places like Mount Pleasant? Economically speaking. Economically speaking. Sure. Uh, I have a lot of ideas on that one. Uh, the easiest one, I think, is first would focus on agriculture. 
Uh, we are an ag-based community. Everybody thinks of agriculture as farmers, but I think we all know it's far more than that. It's insurance providers, it's bankers, it's repair equipment repair companies, it's equipment sales, it's seed companies. I mean, you can look around the square. It's, it's restaurants that get our food. It's Everything is connected to agriculture, especially in Mount Pleasant. And we have the whole supply chain from putting seed in the ground to feeding the pig to butchering the pig and packaging it to going to Walmart and us purchasing it or purchasing a Hy-Vee. We have the whole supply chain right here in Mount Pleasant. Most of that, like I said earlier, isn't locally owned. There's only very few, few parts of that now. Even our banks and our insurance companies are owned outside of our communities. And so that's the first part I'd look at. My brother, again, would travel to Marshalltown. Now it's Knoxville and parts of Missouri uh, for a job. Um, and he's been doing that for 20 years. And he would do that four times, five times a week in addition to being a full-time farmer. Like, that's just not sustainable. It's not okay that they have to have two jobs to make a living in agriculture. But that's the reality that we're in right now, right? So in order to bridge that so my brother doesn't have to travel and spend 20 hours on the road each week away from his kids, we focus on new technologies and innovation in ag. And we help people like my brother, like our graduates from our schools, like students in the, in the local FFA program, to build companies right out of high school and right out of college. We work with them to figure out how to file an LLC. We work with them how to find funding. We have them experiment and figure out new ideas in, in drone technology and apps, and not only use those technologies, but figure out how to sell those technologies to other farmers in the region. And so now, not only are they working on the farm doing what they love, they have their side business. Instead of driving to Marshalltown, now they're running a small business out of their home. That's the idea. That's what I would go with, is helping, helping our farmers start new businesses. All right, last one. Last one? Okay. Yeah, last one. Okay. What's the most important thing people should know about you as a person? But something about your personality. Someone who's considering voting. Oh, jeez. I wish you would have told me about this one ahead of time. I have a little more prep. Uh, the most important thing about me is my family. That's what I'll say. I know that sounds cliche. Uh, my wife's somewhere around here. Where is Abigail at? Over, way over there. There's my kid, Eli. Uh, I don't know if Robbie's here. Is Robbie not here? No. Thanks, Robbie. Appreciate it. On the recording when he listens to it, because he will listen to it. Um, now he will. Um, easily, by far and away, is my family. And, and honestly, it's why I'm running. I don't think we were going to run. Ab I talked to Abigail at the, about this a lot because they came to me and asked me, the state party did early on, and said, we'd like you to consider this run. You're, you're well known in the community. Um, obviously, I have the Heaton name. I'm a Democrat, but Dave was known as a moderate Republican. Um, I'm a fairly moderate Democrat. But I wasn't going to run because of family. But as all these issues came up, as all these controversial culture war stuff got brought up, as I saw our hospital fading, I saw our school systems data going downhill, our free and reduced lunch patient going up in our community. I want, I want what's best for my family. And I want my kids to actually look at Mount Pleasant and be like, yeah, I'll keep that on the option on the table after I graduate college or vocational school, whatever it may be. And I, I consider living in Mount Pleasant because honestly, I'm, I'm loving it here and I want to stay. And if my kids end up in California or in, in Colorado, I might be following them, you know, like a lot of our friends have. 
A lot of us have our friends that left and followed their kids wherever they moved. And my hope is that they want to stay here and we can be together. And no pressure, Eli. I don't mean to make you have to stay here. But um, at least we want to give them the option to do that. And so I'd say by far and away, my, my priority is family. Yeah. All right. Now I'll put my, my other MC hat on here. All right. You all are awesome, okay? So what I want to do real quick is I need you all to just sort of take a look around at each other, okay? Being a Democrat in Henry County, which has voted Republican a lot, just look, just turn around, see who else is here. You are not alone. We are not alone here in our rural communities. We care about issues that often get made fun of in our community. We care about people. That's okay, that's something we should be proud of. Okay, we should be proud of that. So I wanna say thank you for coming today. Thank you for showing your face here today. Thank you for being so public about your support or interest in the Democratic ticket. And I really hope you show up at the ballot box on November 8th. So thank you all for coming today. Have a great afternoon. And that's our live from Central Park show. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, taking us out as always is our friend Chris Hauser. Up with cornfields in every direction That's where I learned all of my lessons About life and living without fences In the land of the free to have opinions If you work a job, you ought to make a living George Strait or George Gay, there's no difference People need help and I think that we should listen Three chords and my truth is I'm a good old boy with a bleeding heart Just a homegrown Spaces, plenty of room for us all to be safe in. Yeah, that's the future that I'm chasing, so I'm gonna go make it. I'm a good old boy with a bleeding heart, just a homegrown hick with the hybrid car. I think y'all means harm, and I know we all just wanna know that we belong. And there's a lot more color in the mix when you're loud and proud out in the sticks. I am. Y'all means all and I know we all just want to know that we belong.